I want to start out here sharing a, a little story for us. Um, back in the Western days, he was a professional thief. His name stirred fear as the desert wind stirred tumbleweeds. He terrorized the Wells Fargo stage line for 13 years, roaring like a tornado in and out of the Sahara, Nevada, spooking the most rugged frontiersmen. In journals from San Francisco to New York, his name became synonymous with danger on the frontier. During his reign of terror from 1875 to 1883, he is credited for stealing the bags and the breath away from 29 different stagecoach crews. He did it all without firing a single shot. His weapon was his reputation. His ammunition was intimidation. With the hood over his face, no victim ever saw him. No artist ever sketched his features. No sheriff could ever track his trail. He never fired a shot or took a hostage. He didn't have to. His presence was enough to paralyze people. Black Bart, a hooded bandit armed with a deadly weapon, his reputation. This reminds me of another thief that we have today. Look in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Black Bart, a terror of the Western days, never fired a shot because he didn't have to. People were so scared when they saw him approach, they surrendered. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, a roar, that's a loud cry or a howl. It's been said that a lion's roar, you can hear it from five miles away. It said it's 25 times louder than a lawnmower. If you had a lawnmower going, it's 25 times louder than that. A lot of times when people just hear the roar of a lion, they just get fearful. You don't even know if it's close or far, but you just hear the roar and fear strikes in a person's heart. This is the exact same reputation Satan has. None of us have ever seen Satan, although you may think you have. <laughs> Some of us have never seen Satan. <laughs> we couldn't sketch him, we couldn't give a profile of him, but yet there may be times that you felt the cold breath of Satan on your neck. You may have had the feeling Satan was there when your palms start getting sweaty as you're about to confess something to someone. He's the same person that keeps you from answering certain phone calls. He's the same person that allows that pornographic picture to pop up on your computer. He's the same person that cons you into convincing you give up integrity for popularity. He's the same person that whispers in your head, hit the snooze button one more time. Don't worry about the quiet time, just get a five more minutes of rest. He's the same person that tells you it's not flirting, it's just being nice. He's the same person that tells you don't share your faith with them, they're not going to be open. You don't really have enough time right now, just keep going, don't share your faith with them. He's the black bart of our soul. Just his reputation keeps us from doing what God wants us to do. But here's the thing about Satan. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your car. He doesn't want your house. 
He wants your peace of mind. Think about it. He wants your peace of mind. His objective is to take your courage from you and make you timid. To leave you trembling and doubting. His plan is to manipulate you with so many questions that you start to fear death, fear failure, and have no fear of God. His goal is to create cowardly, joyless Christians. That's his goal. His goal isn't to take you out the kingdom, to cause you to be a fall away. That's not his goal. His goal is to make you a weak, joyless person in the fellowship so you can pull down as many people around you as possible. His goal is to paralyze everybody that's visiting here today so you will not become a Christian. He wants you to find something in this group, whether it's me, whether it's somebody here that you don't like, so you will say, I won't come back to that church anymore. That's his goal. I didn't like the last song. I don't like the little communion cup. I don't like the preacher. I didn't like a camp video about kids having fun, learning about God. I didn't like that. That's Satan's goal, to mess with your mind and get you to where you don't want to commit to him. He doesn't want you to journey to the mountain of the Lord. He wants you to settle for the flatlands of the world. Here's an urban legend from India. It tells about a mouse who was terrified of cats until a magician agreed to transform him into a cat. That resolved his fear until he met a dog. So the magician changed him into a dog. The mouse turned cat turned dog was content until he met a tiger. Once again, the magician changed him into what he feared, into a tiger. But when the tiger came complaining that he met a hunter, the magician refused to help. He says, I will make you into a mouse again. For though you have the body of a tiger, you still have the heart of a mouse. Many of us today have a strong exterior. On the outside, we look strong. We are confident. We tell somebody else, we'll honk a horn in a minute in the car. But then when we're all alone and it's time for your convictions to show, we turn into that mouse. See, everybody has fears and insecurities. Even if you're a baptized disciple for 50 years, you still have insecurities. We all do. Well, what I want to talk to us about today is how do we overcome this? Even though we have insecurities, even though we have fears, how can I rely upon God to help me have a peace of mind so I can do what God wants me to do? I want us to look today at David. This is a man that, you know, when we think of David, we think of the mighty warrior. And sometimes we forget all the insecurities, all the fears he had. Here's a young man going up against Goliath. Goliath, a man who terrified a whole army, that nobody would come out. But yet, he went up against him. He had the fears of King's, uh, King Saul. This king throws a spear at him three times and tries to kill him. And he has to serve him. He had fears. You know, you th- some of y'all don't like going to work as it is. Imagine going to work like that, knowing you're going to get spears thrown at you and try to have you killed every day. He even had issues in his family when his son tried to take over the kingdom 
He had to escape and get away before he was killed. He had people, he had job, he had family. He had a lot of issues around him. He felt the breath of Satan. But yet, he was able to overcome and be known as the mighty man of God that we know him today. Look over in Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Guys, Satan wants you to be bummed out, depressed, discouraged. But I'm here to tell you, you need to feel good about yourself. You got up this morning, you got all dressed up, you looking all good. You need to be happy. You need, hey, I look good today. You need to be happy about who you are. Don't let Satan take your mind and your joy away. I appreciate what Juan said. You know, his, his wife and daughter left him. That man was a mess. We talked more that week than we probably have the whole time. And I had totally forgot about that wine, but then now, once you said it, now I remember my wife is leaving today. She's going to be gone for a whole week to visit her 95-year-old dad. And now I'm going to be home with two girls by myself. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. In looking at David's life, we can see how he dealt with fears, how he dealt with Satan as Satan approached him. And I truly believe this is what a lot of us need to do. I'm not going to give you some huge, great revelation you never heard of. A lot of this you probably already have heard of, but never really practiced it the way we're going to talk about today. Look in Psalm 37. We'll start in verse 1. Verse 1 through 9 is what we're going to read. It says, Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. I could stop right there. Because sometimes we go somewhere and we see somebody that we know ain't living right, but they look like they got everything together, the house, the cars, money, and we're like, why? Why, Lord? I don't understand that. You know they're wrong. They're over there smoking a doobie right now. They're puffing the magic dragon. And yet, they're blessed in all kind of ways. We see it. You know what I'm talking about. I felt like that when our daughter was born deaf. I thought, why me? I'm a minister. Why not do it to some crackhead? Why my kid got to be deaf? I mean, I had all this anger towards God. I'm trying to do what's right. Why me? We see that. and The Bible tells us, do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. You know, it says don't fret. Today, in our language, we would say don't sweat it. Because the words fret back then meant under pressure. So when you're under pressure, you start to sweat. So literally he said, don't sweat people because they got a little more money than you, a better car than you. Don't sweat people like that because you don't know what's going on inside. Verse 2, he says, for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. 
This is what I want us to talk about today. How can we not fret? How do we not have to have all these fears? How can we get a peace of mind back in our lives? First thing, point number one. I'm not sure how many points I got today, y'all. It could be 15, it could be five. It all depends on crowd participation. So if y'all are all into it, the points go down. But if you sit there, I'm going to keep preaching until I feel like you're into it. So it's up to you. How long we go? So point number one. This is what he said in verse 3, Psalm 37, 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Point number one, we've got to trust in the Lord. Now, what does trust in the Lord mean? People say it all the time. Here's a definition. Have an inward confidence that God is going to bring you through to the other side of the situation. It doesn't mean your, your situation isn't bad. We have some challenging times in our lives. But trusting in God means, even though it looks dark right now, I totally believe God is going to bring me through to the other side of this situation. And if, even if it's dark tomorrow or the next day, I know the day after. I'm just trusting that God is going to bring me through to the other side. That's having a conviction that God is on your side. Because see, sometimes we think God's not with us, around us, on my side. You don't understand. Look at what it says in Romans 8. Romans 8, 37. Romans 8, 37 through 39. It says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what you're going through, God wants you to know he loves you. Past, present, future. In the past, how do you know God loves you? He sacrificed his son 2,000 plus years ago so we can have a chance today. Well, how do I know he loves me today? He said, even though you are my enemy, I still forgive you. Some of us can't forgive people that are in our family that loves us. But he says, you are my enemy and I still forgive you. Well, what about your future? What did he tell us in Jeremiah 29? I have plans for your future. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Past, present, and future. He says, I am with you. I love you. I am here with you. What do we need to do to understand this fully? First of all, let's look at who Jesus himself was. Matthew 8. Matthew 8, 23. How can I trust in the Lord? Well, first, let's take a look at who the Lord is, what he really did. Matthew 8, 23 says, Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, for Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus is sitting there, it's chaos going on. And this man is asleep. 
He might have been snoring. You know how brothers do sometimes. But he was asleep. They wake him up. Save us, save us. And I can just see Jesus thinking, I did not come all the way to earth to drown. Please, y'all. You going to be all right? But he was so in tune with God that he was able to sleep through the storm. See, that's a peace of mind that he's saying, I want you to have. Even though it is winds blowing, waves, fish flopping everywhere, but yet he's sitting there asleep. And it was so amazing that the other men couldn't even fathom, why is this man asleep? And you know what? That's what happens when you are walking with Jesus. People in the world can look at you and say, I don't understand why you're so happy. Why are you like this? What is going on with you? You know, we had a park service last Sunday. A lot of people. Uh, we had a great time. There was a, a lot of food, too. Uh, too much food. There was somebody else that had a permit right next to ours, kind of in the same section, and they were waiting for their church to join them. But nobody showed up, like two or three people. And the guy looked over and he said, what, is, what, is, what are you guys doing? Why are all y'all so happy? Why is everybody happy and nobody is sad and nobody's upset? He said, hey, this is what our church is all about. Now his permit was for about 600 people. And two people showed up. That's how it is. Guys, we got to see Satan wants to take your peace of mind. We've got to remember, first of all, who Jesus is. Jesus has it all under control. If it's under Jesus' control, it's never out of control. And that's what we've got to see. So first of all, we've got to realize who Jesus is. And he's saying, listen, I want you to have the peace that I have. But let's look at a man who trusted in Jesus. Look in verse 5. Matthew 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority and with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes, and that one, come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places in the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Here's a man who knew who Jesus was. He said, Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. You don't need to say some incantation, no magic. You just say the word, and I know it's going to be done. And Jesus turned around, Peter, James, John, y'all hear what this man said? I can't, y'all can't do this kind of attitude. But he has such faith in me that all I have to do is say it, and that's enough. Guys, this is what Jesus is calling us to today. To believe so much in him that even if you're in dark times, he's going to bring you through to the other side. This man had a dark time. His servant was suffering. But he believed that Jesus could bring him through to the other side. 
Look at chapter 9, verse 18. We looked at Jesus, we looked at a man, now let's look at a woman. We got equal rights up here in the church. Matthew 9, 18. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand over her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. He said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. That wasn't even much of a conversation. Jesus knew that her faith believed that it could be done. How do I trust in the Lord? Number one, you realize who Jesus is. Sometimes we forget who Jesus is and what he can control. Number two, we take Jesus at his word. If Jesus says it, take him at his word. And thirdly, we need to have faith that Jesus can fix it. We sing it, but do we believe it? Do we live it? Jesus can fix it. So when you're feeling a little stressed and you can't sleep at night and you're anxious and you're full of anxiety and there's issues going on around you, your health is bad, your job is crazy, your kid's running wild, your car ain't running no more, instead of freaking out, we need to trust in the Lord. There's no magic potion where your problem's just going to disappear. No, no, no. Trust in the Lord means even though my car's not running now, you know what? I trust eventually it's going to start running again. My kids, they baby kids right now, but eventually they're going to be incredible men and women of God. We have to just trust that God's going to bring you through to the other side. Amen? Secondly, let's go back to Psalm 34. So this half of the audience is going to be leaving early. Psalm 37, I'm sorry, I don't know what I said. Psalm 37, verse 4. The first thing we got to do is trust in the Lord, and that's what David did. He trusted in the Lord. Time to fight Goliath, I trust in God. Time to go against the king, I trust in God. He trusted in God that God would bring him through to the other side of every situation. The second thing we need to do in verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, what does delight yourself in the Lord mean? People say it all the time. Definition. Make the Lord delicious to you. The taste of goodness. Just as a son delights in spending time with his father, we should delight in spending time with our Heavenly Father. You know, every weekend, uh, growing up in the Midwest, in Nebraska, I would go fishing or hunting with my dad. Every weekend. That's why I never grouped with the church growing up, because we were fishing Saturday and Sunday. And we would go out fishing, and many times we caught a lot of fish. I mean, like a boatload. Our nets were full, so we just put them in the boat and just put water in the boat so they could still stay alive till we get back. Well, we were fishing one day, and I was so hungry. And, and a lot of things I do now... Reminds me and takes me back. You know how you can hear a song and it takes you back to the day or you remember something? I'll eat like sour cream and onion chips and I just think of fish with my dad. 
And one day I was so hungry, I said, Dad, I, I got to eat. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. I got lunch for us. So I'm all excited, right? And he pulls out a Fig Newton and hands it to me. Now, I'm, I'm not a germaphobe, but I'm, I'm right close, right there. I don't even drink after my kids. I'm like, on your backwash. I ain't drinking after you. But he gave me this fi- a Fig Newton, not a pack, one Fig Newton. And my first thought is, how nasty is your hands? And where did that Fig Newton come from? <laughs> you just popped away? I don't know. And he handed it to me, and I looked at it. And I, and, and I was a high school student. I'm like 210 pounds at that time. I'm like, what's this Fig Newton going to do for me? It was so bad. We were fishing, and we ran out of bait. So we had Wheaties, and we started balling them up, and we fished with Wheaties. I'm sitting there eating this bag of Wheaties because I'm just so hungry. And I'm like, I, I got to eat. I had a lot of drama and issues with my dad. But those times that I would spend with him, I wouldn't give up for anything in the world. Those were times that I delighted being with him. And as I do things, as I even now, and I'm in the store and I see Fig Newtons, I'm just like, oh, Lord. That's my... <laughs> I, just, I usually buy like two packs. Don't I? I just get two packs. I don't want, I want two just because. I couldn't have it back then. I want two now. But sometimes we just need to think back to God's love and God's blessing. That's what it means to meditate. It means delight yourself. Just remember God's love and God's power. Look in Psalms 48, verse 9. Psalm 48, verse 9. Look at how David does. He says, within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Think about it. Just think for a moment. How, did God, how has God shown you love at some, any point in your life? Just think for a moment. Okay, just sitting here. That's a good, that's a good one. Just think for a moment. How has God shown you love in your life? Paul, how has God shown you love in your life? Woman sitting next to you. Boy, you ain't never said the truth right there. That is so true. (laughs) You know what? Many of us wouldn't have the people we have if it wasn't for God. Look in Psalm 77, verse 12. Psalm 77, verse 12. It says, I will meditate on all your works and consider your mighty deeds. Again, sometimes, guys, we just need to sit back and just think of how good God has been to us. See, that's what it means to delight yourself in the Lord. Stop, stop, get off social media, quit watching TV, quit doing all those other, sit down and think about how God has been good to you. If you say, I'm going to sit down and just think about God being good to me for two minutes, you're going to end up sitting there 20 minutes because you're going to start realizing how good God has been to you. And if you can't think of a reason, you're still alive today. So he's been good to you right there. We've got to trust in the Lord. We've got to delight ourselves in the Lord. And look back in Psalm 37. What else David calls for us to do here? Psalm 37, verse 5. He says, commit your way to the Lord. Guys, we've got to commit our way to the Lord. So what does commit your way 
to the Lord mean? People say it all the time. Definition. Casting your problems upon the Lord. In 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you commit or cast all your problems upon the Lord, you don't have the option of taking them back. Now, I need to explain this because that just kind of whoo over some people's heads. Here, let me illustrate it again. I'm a farm boy. You may have heard this before. The chicken and the pig was on the farm. And the chicken said, the farmer has been so good to us. Let's treat him to breakfast tomorrow. Let's make some bacon and eggs. The pig said, are you crazy? All you got to do is lay an egg and participate. I have to be fully committed to give him some bacon. Take a little while once you get it, don't you? <laughs> the chicken just drops a man, bloop, bloop, and he go on about his business. That pig, that's it for the pig in order to get some bacon. So let me ask you, are you fully committing your problems to God? Or are you just letting him participate in your problems? See, it's like, are you fully a Christian committed? Or are you just participating in church? So are you just dropping some eggs? Or are you fully committed with your life? That's what he says, lay down your life, right? You've got to ask yourself, even the problems I have, am I fully committing them to God? Or do I just talk to him about it, you know, now and then, here and there? And, oh, yeah, I do need to pray more about that. And Are you fully committed? Were you praying about it every day and asking other people to pray for you? You, you know, I'm fasting for that. I mean, are you fully committing things to God? Most people don't fully commit all their problems until they see it's just too late. But you know what? Look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Verse 17. There was a rich young man came up to Jesus and said, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around at his disciples and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. Peter said, We've left everything. We are fully committed. Eleven of them were fully committed. 
One of them participated. Judas participated because he still had a love for his money. And you can't follow Jesus unless you're fully committed. He was around, but he participated, not fully committed. Let me give a challenge for us here. If you are a man of God and you've been around more than one year, it's about time you start leading your own Bible club. Now, it's funny, as all the women say they man. That was too high of a pitch to be a man to say amen. Amen, amen. So let me take you back to my first illustration with the mouse. Turn cat, turn tiger, turn back into the mouse. Guys, it's not that hard to sit down and say, what do you guys think about this scripture? And let people talk. That's all you do when you lead a Bible talk. It's not that big of a deal. All you're doing is just opening up a door of communication. And I know communicating is one of the hardest things for guys to do. I'm right in that boat. I don't communicate that. I know you over here breaking your neck, shaking your ass. <laughs> but this, <laughs> you okay? <laughs> but this is what we've got to grow in, guys. So that's just personal man-to-man conversation there. Commit yourself to the Lord. And then fourthly, fourthly, I think this may be my final point. I'm still trying to get an amen from over here, but. Okay, we'll wrap it up with this. Let's go back to Psalm 37. He tells us we need to trust in the Lord. He tells us we need to delight ourselves in the Lord. He tells us we need to commit ourselves to the Lord. Then David says in verse 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fourthly, we need to be still before the Lord. Now what does be still before the Lord mean? People say it all the time. Here's a definition. Not magnifying Satan's attack through your speech. Let me explain that. One problem we often have is we talk more about Satan our problems than we do about Jesus. We talk more about why and how bad we're in and this and that instead of the light that brings us out of it. Sometimes we give Satan so much glory that we take it away from Jesus. Be still and wait patiently on the Lord. Look at how many times God has rescued his people. He took Moses through the Red Sea. He took David and helped him kill Goliath. He took Jonah Satan from the well. He took Gilligan off the island. He's done all kinds of things. He said, trust in me. Is it easy? Nope, it's not easy. But that's the key to seeing God move on your behalf. Patiently waiting for God. What does that mean? If I'm sitting here waiting for God, that means I have an expectation for a miracle right around the corner. You think about it. Even though Judas messed up beyond all recognition, if he had just patiently waited three more days, he would have seen Jesus raised from the dead. His whole eternal life would have been different if he had just patiently waited. 
So many times we're so emotional, we don't wait for nothing. If that's how I feel, and that's what happened, I got to do it. I got to let you know how I feel. I got to make sure everybody in the world knows. What? Wait patiently on the Lord. How long is that going to be? I don't know. That's what patiently means. Now, don't we get a little bit irritated when our kids come up and keep nagging us for stuff? Y'all know y'all in church lives. Y'all better all say some amens. I know your kids be, we need this, I need that. Can somebody spend the night? Can I go over here? Can I do this and that? Okay, I'm the only one then. I'll take it. But we get irritated with our kids when, when you know, when I, oh, you said, I told you I will help you. Be patient. Now, how do you think God feels about us? And he's just saying, just patiently wait. I got this under control. Do you realize I knew what was going on before you were born? Don't you think I have this under control? Look in Psalm chapter 40, verse 1. Psalm 40, verse 1. David says right here, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you plan for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, there would be too many to declare. I guess that's my cue. Let me close out with this. Remember Black Bart? As it turns out, he wasn't anything to be afraid of. When the hood came off, there was nothing to fear. When the authorities finally tracked him down, they didn't find a bloodthirsty bandit from Death Valley. They found a mild-mannered pharmacist from Decatur, Illinois. The man that papers pictures storming through the mountains on horseback was in reality so afraid of horses, he rode to and from his robberies in a buggy. He was Charles E. Boyles, the bandit who never once fired a shot because he never once loaded his gun. His reputation and lies had people so scared of him, he was just a little timid coward the whole time. Listen to me. Satan has been lying to many of you for many years. He does not have the power. Jesus has the power. He does not have the glory. Jesus has the glory. And here's the thing. When it's all said and done, we already know Jesus has the victory. Jesus has already won. He's given us a crown of victory. No longer do we need to fear Satan and his reputation. We need to give God the glory and speak more of Jesus, bringing us into the light than Satan trying to keep us in the darkness. And to God be the glory. Amen.